1: Hello again, I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And this is Leading from the Front. Today's guest is the CEO of Emerge Interactive, a digital product agency, where he works with clients to transform business strategies, user needs and new technologies into valuable products and services. An accomplished writer and speaker, he's lectured on the connected consumers impact on business creating value through data-driven experiences, and user-centric approaches to innovation. Well, that's a mouthful we're going to have to talk about. In 2012, he was recognized in the Portland Business Journal's 40 Under 40 as one of Portland's emerging professional and community leaders. And I know I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, where the triangle 40 under 40, that's a big deal. That is a big deal if you don't know what that is, to see our future great leaders Emerge Interactive is committed to building the relationships with his clients to create real and lasting value by inspiring and motivating teams to focus on what matters most. Please welcome to Leading from the Front from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Jonathan Hensley. Good morning. Good morning,
0: Gary. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So, Jonathan, as we always start with these things, I'm not going to ask you right off the bat to try to explain that mouthful of connected consumers impact on business, creating value through data driven experience (laughs) and user centric approaches to innovation. We'll get to that. But what I'd like to hear is a little bit about your background, about your company, Emerge Interactive. And how did you get here?
0: Ooh, that's a long story. So I started the company a little over twenty-two years ago. And I was very fortunate. I started my very young entrepreneurial career growing up in Silicon Valley. And it was at a time when you had access to just incredible people and technology. And I was constantly, as a small child, just inspired by what was happening around me. Back then I could go to user group meetups at the Hewlett-Packard campus, or I could go to, you know, this event or that event. And it was just such a small community where I was embraced, educated with these people that were innovating and developing these two technologies.
1: you sound a little bit like a technology groupie. I mean, you you know,
0: (laughs) that's a a perfect description of me. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Okay.
0: (laughs) You know, and then on the other side of it, I have a mother who's a psychologist. So I I had this really interesting intersection of Mm. this insatiable curiosity of how technology you know impacts and informs our humanity and the human condition and how it changed the way that we work and live and so i had this you know incredible positive force at home taking place around understanding you know psychology and how people think and behavior and exposed to this incredible technology and that was the launching platform for my career and eventually uh, founding emerge
1: so in that career when you started to realize the connection between the two when was that realization? And what did you start doing with it besides just, you know, stalking technologists? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I was really fortunate. Both my parents are entrepreneurial, owning their own businesses. And so very at a very early age, I had an opportunity to start to see how technology was starting to or could improve their businesses. And so, you know, I was one of those kids that was working inside, you know, my parents' companies you know, helping them adopt technology at, at the youngest age. And as I, you know, started to get older, I started to get other jobs and experiences that, you know, kind of help me see a bigger world and a bigger picture of, of that impact. And it just captivated me. I mean, it's something that that love and that excitement of new technology or how it helps people is still something that that gets me up every morning today. I mean, I absolutely love seeing how it can help transform a business or unlock the potential of the people in that business where we take you know off loads of mundane tasks or processes or remove air and unleash the creativity that people have and the ability to connect with others because the technology is now doing work. And that continues to be something that's really exciting as I continue to do the work on digital products and services.
1: Well, so it's interesting when you talk about when I started using computers in business in the 80s in manufacturing, most people that were in business didn't know how to use computers. So there was a learning curve that's been going on for the last 40 years that now with younger people coming in, you don't have to teach them how to use a computer. They already know how they've been doing it since they were three. I mean, my grandson can do things on an iPad that'll make your head spin, right? (laughs) So it's just part of who they are. But when you started this, you were kind of in the leading edge of that and trying to help people both learn the impact. You said unloading mundane tasks. I can remember people that were resistant to that back then because they attached their work and those quote unquote mundane tasks to their paycheck. You take that away and have to learn new skills. Did you see much of that in the work that you're doing with clients? You say, oh, that's great. It's going to unload this. It's going to be innovative, creative. It's going to give you more time to do other things. What do you do with the people that are resisting?
0: Well, I mean, I think there's all, there's just a natural resistance to change, no matter, you know, the t- period of time and, and the industry. Some companies are built to be more resilient and adaptive to change. But as a whole, it, it's always going to be a challenge. It's a challenge that will never go away. Mm-hmm. Change is scary. Uh, it means embracing the unknown. It requires a different set of uh, management and leadership skills in order to navigate change and to define uh, how to drive success of an organization and a team. So, you know, from my earliest days, I saw it more as, you know, here, is there a barrier to understanding the technology or, you know, I didn't quite see it the way I do today. Now I understand more of kind of I would say the psychological or the human condition related to change. And I understand that there's a path to adopting technology that is fundamentally, you know, missed or not understood as well as it needs to be in organizations and especially with leaders. And there's really two sides of that. One is there's, you know, the actual perception of technology. So in that regard, you know our expectations of technology are in the beginning tend to be much higher than the actual capabilities of that new technology and then over time the technology accelerates and actually um, exceeds our expectations of the technology so um, there's actually something called amra's law that relates to that relationship between technology and human expectation
1: okay so what is that law
0: That law basically focuses on this idea that in the introduction of a new technology, our expectations exceed uh, what uh, the technology is capable of producing. Uh, A lot of times that might mean because it's related to an overestimation of the technology itself. I think uh, AI is a really good example. We've been talking about AI for decades. This is, you know, when we talk about AI today, it's nothing particularly new, but we're hitting an inflection point of what AI is capable of doing, because the infrastructure behind it has now become powerful enough. I believe AI will uh, very quickly start to exceed human expectation, uh, and that will—that's on the other side of our Emerald law's curve of of you know what technology eventually uh, becomes, which is, is exceeding our expectation, becomes something much much bigger. Um, And you can see this as you, if you look backwards very easily, you know, I think when social media was introduced, we saw it as like, Oh, that's fun. That's a nice thing, you know, and then it accelerated. It exploded. It lot, so MySpace, quickly.
1: you know, MySpace, you know, Absolutely. the precursor to Facebook, right? It's, Oh, this is just a fun little thing. Who cares right now? Facebook is, uh, you know, one of the biggest uh, uh, technology companies in the world. Right, uh, Maybe the biggest, I don't know, in terms of people, it probably is. So I want to go back you, there's a couple of things that I want to go back and 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 kind of dig into a little bit. First of all, you said there's a path to adapting technology, and i what I heard in that was kind of a reference to the psychology of that path, and then you started talking about expectations. So you said that there's a different set of skills that's needed for leadership and management going through this process. What are those skills that you've learned and that you work with business leaders to understand managing the expectations, managing change, and uh, really leading their people in a way that's effective when they're trying to uh, engage in a new technology platform?
0: That's a big question. Uh, There's a lot to unpack there, but I'll I'll do my best to keep it short and concise and we can dig in where, where it feels appropriate. You know, there's... A handful of critical leadership skills that I think that are personally very, very important. A lot of organizations, doesn't matter what sector and, and that you're in, are dealing with digital transformation, uh, whether it's their organization or their entire value chain, and whether you're a small business or a global prize, technology is you know just an embedded component of, of how we're living and working. And the best leaders have a couple of common. Traits or, or skills that uh, I think are, really stand out. One is that they understand uh, technology not at, at an engineering level and not as a as a designer um, or as a as a product manager, but they understand enough to understand that they need to be trilingual. That in order to really understand how technology will impact their business and to guide adoption or to build products, digital products or services themselves, this trilingual ability to have a business acumen, a fundamental uh, design acumen of software, and a fundamental understanding of the technology uh, becomes mission critical. And the reason for that is that leaders need to understand the complexity that they're guiding the company into investing into they need to understand the uncertainty and how to navigate that and they need to really understand the internal sabotage that usually takes place and the why those initiatives fail and i think also it it helps them empower the people that work for if you know i very much believe in a servant leadership mentality leaders are there to to empower their people to do great work and you, you need to have leaders who understand and can respect the skills and the capabilities uh, that they are uh, bringing into the organization to create that change. So that's, that's the first one. The second one is... With uncertainty, we all as individuals have our own biases. So, um, in psychology, it would be considered cognitive bias if we want to formally uh, label it. But this idea that our experiences in our life, from where we stand, you know, in, in our point of view, that we have a certain bias to how the rest of the world looks. And we can, a lot of leaders interject that bias into. Their, their processes and, um, and how they think about things. And I think that we need to have more leaders who understand how to let go of their bias, set ego aside altogether, and really focus on the skill and the practice empathy where they are stepping into the shoes of their customers, uh, their employees, and they're starting to look at uh, how they uh, inform Change through multiple points of view, so they shift from their truth to a, a more accurate picture of reality and what it is going to take to drive success.
1: Yeah, so I, I wrote the word I wrote uh, on here was perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to have the no one understand our own perspective, and and in uh, in leadership, as we talk about it, uh, I use the oxymoron having confident doubt is I, I have confidence in my perspective and I, I'm, uh, uh, but I'm going to have enough doubt in it to know that it's not reality. And, and we, we have this philosophical conversation all the time about reality that no, nobody really knows it, but your perspective on reality, mine. And if we listen to each other, we get a more holistic perspective of reality. And that's what you're talking about is the ability to listen, put aside my biases Accept my perspective as one perspective, not the perspective. And I think that um, I, I often will uh, refer back to good to great with Jim Collins, and that's the the value of a, of a great leader of having some humility, of some modesty. That that modesty is embedded in the oxymoron of confident doubt. See, so uh, I like that. So the first skill that I'm that I'm hearing is to be able to understand. These uh, the complexity of these uh, three the business, business acumen, design, and technology, but to be able to take their perspective and hold on to it without it being the perspective, and then to be able to listen and hear and understand, there's a process that they have to take people through to make the change.
0: Exactly. I mean, we we champion leaders for being decisive, you know, being able to make critical decisions with you know sometimes an incomplete set of information. But a lot of this information is is still at is at their fingertips. You know, there there are great leaders who can go practice the skill of empathy by walking the halls, by talking to people, by getting out there. Uh, you know, there's so many things that people can do to drive. Better performance from a leadership perspective, and it's the tools are at their fingertips. They they are not confined to the structures of the organization. Now, if they're reinforced by the organization, that's even more powerful. But uh, to your point, you know, leaders really do need to adopt this. And when we talk about technology, and especially um, when if you're creating products or services or focused on your customer experience, you know, understanding this and stepping out of your uh, your shoes and in, into someone else's shoes and getting that perspective that you're talking about, um, is absolutely valuable. It drives just critical insight. It informs your strategy and is, uh, will also help you navigate that bridge between strategy and effective execution.
1: Yeah. Because what you're doing in the beginning of this is with true empathy. And I, I, I love that, uh, that, that use of the word when we're talking about cognitive bias to be able to balance those two um, is you're giving another human being validation. I, I validate your perspective. The decisiveness part for leaders, and there's all kinds of studies that have shown this uh, with, uh, with people at the top of an organization that uh, the worst thing a CEO or an executive in a position of decisive, a, a position of decision-making can do is to make no decision. And we also often say that make, making no decision is a decision. And that's true. Uh It's better to make a bad decision and correct it quickly than it is to make no decision at all. And I know some people will argue with me, uh, but uh, when I was in turnaround organizations and manufacturing for 10 years, I had seven different jobs, turned departments around, and I would tell them, we're going to make 10 decisions when other people would only make two. And our job is to make sure that eight of those decisions are good enough to overcome the two bad decisions that we're going to make because we're going to make a lot and we're going to make some bad decisions, but we're going to change those very quickly. And in that process of talking to people and listening to them, what I found, Jonathan, was the ability to be able to say, hey, Jonathan, that's a, that's a great idea. We're going to put that on the shelf for now. Um, there's other things that are a higher priority. Don't know if that's going to work in the future. But I'll tell you what, I really appreciate your input. We're, we're not saying no, we're just saying not now. And uh, please keep coming with some ideas, because I know that you're you, with what you're indicating to me is a level of creativity and thought that we want everybody to have. So keep it up. It's just that idea we're not going to use right now. I have almost universally had the experience when I express it that way, people going, "Oh, uh, okay, I understand," and I explain why, and they get it. There's only one in a hundred that I'll have a situation where somebody will be adamantly against me you know, and they say, ah, oh, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not about being wrong. It's not about being right. It's about trying to do what's best for the organization, for the customers, for the clients, for the people. And I might be wrong and I'm in a position of leadership and this is a decision I need to make right now. Yeah. You know? So I, I love, I love the, the, what you've, what you've crafted here in terms of, you know, talking about, you know, inspiring technology, from the psychological side to start with, and the leadership and the skills that are needed. Um, when, when you've when you do this with clients, what do you find are the uh, the skills of business acumen, design, technology, leadership, listening, empathy? Those things. What do you find are the uh, the biggest challenges in business that they have right now to overcome? The perspective to overcome this uh, law of higher expectations and what they, are. What, what do you, what's your experience been and how do you overcome that? Tell you got to tell me a story, man. You got to, <laughs> I, I need a story.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you two things and then I'll tell you a story of how they applied. Um, yeah. The the first one is when, when we see this challenge, and whether it's we're working with a client or we see you know we're we're working successfully with a, d- a division of a company and we see this you know challenge happening at a much bigger scale usually it comes down to the fact that there's a lack of alignment uh-huh. meaning leadership has not done the job to align the the vision of the company and its mission and values to the strategy of the company a lot of times a strategy may be missing or is incomplete. So there's a lot of bad strategy out there, which that's a whole topic in itself. But the the most critical thing is that once a strategy has been defined, is building alignment across the organization. And let me explain that really quickly, because I think it's important to note what, what I mean by alignment, because I think in in... Intuitively, most people, you know, understand it. But I, I look at it in four levels. So there's individual alignment, meaning we all understand how our work contributes or matters, um, why we're doing it, how our work makes a difference. Today, you know, there's tons of people out there, tons of research saying how important it is to for for employees to understand that their work matters, to understand purpose, and I think that's a really important job. Well. How can we communicate purpose if leadership hasn't done a good enough job defining the problem the organization to solve in the future state of what the, what the organization wants to become and how the work that they're being asked to do contributes to that? That's just fundamental. So we want to empower employees. If we say people are our most valuable asset, they're the thing that makes our company great. Then let's empower them to be great. The second part is team alignment. So this deals with how do we align and integrate the unique disciplines, experience, perspectives so people can solve problems together so they can deliver on those great customer experiences or manufacture those, you know, amazing products that are that are critically important. That that's really really critical. The third level is organizational alignment, dealing with how to build alignment across the organization so that everybody understands how all the things that we're doing align to that vision and the strategic priorities that our leaders have established. And then the fourth is market alignment. How do all these things align with the market, the the users and the buyers of our products and services? So that to me is one of the biggest issues that I see a lot of organizations dealing with, no matter what their size is. And more organizations and leaders need to slow down, they can speed up. They need to work on that issue of alignment, and they need to be focused instead of on deliverables and having what I call a project mindset. They need to have a product mindset where they're focused on impact and outcome. It changes the perspective of how people work at decisions. And when you have that, you empower people to make those better decisions. Like you were talking about, you know, the, the eight out of 10, you know, well, how do we make those higher and higher value decisions? We can do that by making sure that they're aligned with the bigger picture of the organization so that they're, we have basically a framework for critical decision making. So I think that that's that's a huge aspect of it. Um, The second component to it is is I think that there needs to be a a re-education of what strategy is in an organization. Uh, There's a lot of brilliant strategists out there, and I I don't want to devalue the incredible work that so many are doing. But fundamentally, strategy in a lot of er levels, especially within leadership, is being confused as planning. They're looking for certainty and in a world of uncertainty. So if you don't know what the future holds, or you can't predict it or guarantee it, you know it doesn't work. Um, you know, there's a uh, I'm going to mess up the quote, but I'll, I'll paraphrase it. You know, there's a a, a famous uh, quote by by Jeff Bezos says, you know, they're they're really strict, you know, and 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 you know, inflexible on vision, but they're very flexible on on how to get there. Right, and so, and that's planning. Planning needs to be flexible, and people look at try to create plans as absolutes without doing the strategic work. And so, we we find that that to be something very common that we run into. And so,
1: what do you think the underlying the underlying uh, reason for that is that that people confuse planning with strategy? Do you, What's your experience been with that? What do you think?
0: Well, I think that. We have come to a place in business culture where we're looking for a the quick win, and we're looking at we're looking for the framework, fill in the blanks, and then this will be the outcome. Strategy is incredibly hard work. Hmm. It, it's you know, um, R- Richard Muller uh, wrote an incredible book, "Good Strategy, Bad Strategy." Uh, is it, kind of. Uh, you know, looked at as like the strategist, strategist, uh, you know, and he, you know, the fundamental core of, or what he calls the kernel of strategy is, in, you know, diagnosis, understanding, do you really understand the root of the problem? Like, why does the problem exist? You know, what's the impact of that problem? How does it manifest? You know, really unpacking it, understanding the roots of a problem. Um, and then, you know, secondly, strategy is is also you know made up of the second piece of that is what's your approach what's the unique way that you will address that problem and then third is coherent action and i'm i'm a big believer in in that line of thinking because we confuse the solution as the response to the problem and it's not it's the solution is is based on the a strategy uh, you know, we can't all be Apple. We can't all be Microsoft. You know, we, we're all unique. We can, and we all solve problems in different ways. That's why there's so many, you know, options of products to solve problems because they solve it in unique ways for different groups of, of people. And it's beautiful. It's powerful. Uh, but understanding that strategy and having that core is really important. I think the other reason I, that, uh, you know, to, to your core question of why uh, outside of the frameworks is a lot of professional services have built practices on, I'm going to sell you a repeatable process and I'm going to sell you a framework for strategy. Um, and strategy had, because of that has gotten muddled with management. This is, and it's gotten muddied up with, um, that strategy is the same as purpose, the vision and mission and values of a company. And it's not. And so that really, um, is confusing. There's a lot of noise out there in the world right now that's really making it difficult for up and coming leaders and even very experienced to, you know, find really actionable materials that they can empower another generation of leaders with uh, to understand the differences.
1: Yeah. So it's, I'm going to tell you what, what my uh, underlying theory is on some of this stuff. Number one, it's incompetence. People just don't know how to create an effective strategy. Number two, it's fear, because when you decide on a direction, you thereby uh, exclude other options when you decide on a direction. And they're thinking, oh, what if we're going to miss something? So at one extreme, you've got the entrepreneur that's trying to go after everything. Hmm. And at the other extreme, you've got the entrepreneur that's going after the one thing. And uh, and both sometimes are successful and both sometimes are failures. And uh, what I found when I worked at Procter & Gamble is at the core of the ability to consistently execute a mission, vision, values, and strategy are skills. Procter & Gamble uh, consistently taught everybody at all levels of the organization skills, skills of leadership, skills of management. By doing that, you end up with a lot of highly competent people that no matter what you threw at them, they felt they could handle it. So uh, you, you develop the individuals with, and as, as you were talking about alignment, you develop the individuals in their alignment so that they can contribute. You develop the teams so that they can solve problems together and work together effectively with a common, a common mission, vision, values. And if you have a strategy, if they have goals, they can actually accomplish those goals even without a strategy. Yeah. They, they might go in the wrong direction. But that team will be really effective at hitting those goals if they've got skills and they work well as a team and solve the problems. And organizationally is at the level where they then really understand what the mission, vision, values are. And then the market helps drive and shift the strategy based on the needs. People are doing it right now with COVID-19. They're shifting their strategy. They have to or they die. And um, sometimes there's economic and market forces that create a need to shift the organization, the team, and the individual. But if the organization, team, and individual don't have alignment, like what you're saying, and the individuals don't have the skills to flex, then what they do is they create a plan that they're committed to, to execute X, Y, and Z without changing it, no matter what's going on around them, because it's comfortable.
0: I could not agree more. It's. I mean, I think that's that's just perfectly said. You know, organizations like, like Procter & Gamble, uh, you know, to me, I, I, you know, I admire them. I mean, they're, you know, here they are multi-generational companies that have shown the ability to adapt into the resilience they have and the commitment to insight and strategy. And, and like you said, developing skills. And one of the things that I think is uh, really important is that, you know, there is a, we level up the competency of leaders, like you you talked about, to understand how important strategy is. You know, one of the things that I've learned about strategy, and I didn't have this in the beginning of my career whatsoever. And this, you know, I, I've made tons of mistakes in this space myself. It's taken an entire career of twenty plus years to to learn, you know, all these lessons. Um, but that that core of really understanding what the value of strategy really is. It's not just direction, it's clarity, it's focus. It allows you to um, increase the collective competence of an organization when you're when you in place. And collective competence is incredibly powerful, right? We rise and fall together as companies. So, you know, being able and, to and have a good strategy.
1: It, and let's take it back to perspective. Because if you have a clear strategy, a focus, a direction and goals and everything's in place and you have that little voice in the back of the room that raises their hand and says, yeah, I support this. And let me tell you what I see. And everybody goes, well, what do you see? And they tell you and you're like, oh, that just changed our strategy. You know, that one voice, you know, because but they wouldn't be able to say that if they didn't know what the strategy was. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't know that they have a different perspective. They're just going ahead on their perception of what's going on and would move forward. But when they see a disconnect between their perception and the strategy, you can actually get like the work that you do with people are creative and innovative and really work with them to have a voice, which is what this program is all about. Leading from the front is to give people a voice so that they can speak up in a way that helps the entire organization and the team. So you said you had a story. I'm not going to let you off the hook, you know, and uh, we're, we're running out of time, but you got to, you got to tell at least one story here that you said you had, you got going to share with us.
0: Sure. Well, so one, one example of this, when it worked really uh, has worked beautifully then, uh, and, and I'll, I'll focus on that. I I can focus on, or I could tell a bunch of stories too, when it doesn't work, but you know, I was working with a client and uh, they're a global manufacturing company and they you know, have product in over a hundred countries, uh, you know, just to kind of set the stage of scale.
1: No complexity at all.
0: Okay. No Go complexity ahead. at all. And, <laughs> you know, the, the, the simplest part of this, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, it's like, how do I coordinate and help a team of thousands of people in all of these different countries collaborate? That, I mean, that was the core of the product and it was an internal product that we were, were asked to build. Well, that was, you know, we started to do all of the normal things, right? We, you start interviewing people, you start gathering requirements, you understand, you know, the tasks, the job of the product, right? The job to be done. Uh, and, um, you know, the, what, what the core of the success of that product really t- came out to be was, yes, it had to fulfill the job. It had to do the job really, really well. But the way that we were able to really identify the job and the way that we were able to create a product that really made a difference for that client was based on the fact that we aligned their corporate vision and, and strategic priorities to what was happening on the ground with individuals in these different countries. And that the, the core of that was aligning the values of how you work. and it helped us really think about collaboration differently. And what I mean by that is that we we talk about, again, collaboration as one of these wonderful things. Um, and Stephen M.R. Covey had a, had a point of view on this that always really, really resonated and stuck with me, is that you can coordinate with anybody, but you can only collaborate with people that you have trust with. It's a different dynamic. And what we realized is we needed to build a tool that helped people do more than coordinate because a lot of these people had never worked or communicated with one another. And we had to create a way for them to do a series of really complex tasks in a really thoughtful way. And so we focused on two fundamental principles, alignment and how do we build a a piece of software that allows people to connect and build trust. And so we needed to have a way to communicate information in the product align with everything else that they were hearing. So there was a consistent narrative that was that was a verifiable truth. And that was really powerful. And so we were able to design this really beautiful piece of, of software to support this collaboration of, of all of these people around the world and based on that principle, because we didn't bloat it with ears, we didn't overwhelm it with too much content. What we did is we focused on the two most important things, aligning them, and how do we establish trust anchored to the strategy of the organization? And I felt that that was was one of the funnest projects I've ever worked on still to this day, Um, because the people were amazing. They got it. They were passionate leaders who were, you know, all of them up and coming in the organization, ambitious, had tons of grit, not scared of the hard work or the uncertainty, and were Everyone was really, to one of the points that you made early, really listening. They weren't saying, this is how we do it. And this is the way to now everybody should do it. They were going, how should we do it so I can empower you? And then how do we teach people why that way is so invaluable and really connecting the dots? And that was such an amazing partnership to have in helping be a part of that project.
1: Yes, yeah, So I love this idea of conversation that we could have a whole podcast on the difference between coordination and collaboration. And, you know, when I think about that coordination is the individual assignment and execution of tasks, you know, we coordinate you, you got your tasks. I got my tasks. We get them done. We build a certain level of trust if we demonstrate that we can get those things done, but a higher level of trust and collaboration is saying, this is what you need to do, this is what I need to do. What do we need to do? And then we had a whole level of understanding and empathy and perspective and sharing so that when it's time to execute the plan, not only do we know the other person going to get it done, but we're all in this together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, to me, is, as I just think of it off the top of my head, the difference between coordination is execution. Collaboration is trusting each other to achieve the goal. Yeah, Exactly. And with coordination, it's great, actually, in some organizations, because if you don't get your work done, I can just blame you. (laughs) (laughs) I got mine done. That's not collaboration. That's coordination. I I got mine done. I'm good. I'm all right. There is no we quite often in coordination. It's
0: amazing how many company cultures really circumvent something that is also said is important, which is, do I have clearly defined roles and responsibilities? The simplest analogy, I had to explain this to a classroom about a year ago of undergrads. And it was really fascinating. I just used a sports analogy. I'm like, well, how do you go play a game if you don't know the rules of the game? I mean, if you're on the football field and there's no 10 yard markers, how do you know if, if you've gotten a first down? Leaders need to make sure the rules of the game are understood and people need to understand the role they have on the field and what they're accountable to do. You know, I've got, you know, defense has a job. Offense has a job. Everybody is there for a reason or should be. (laughs) And it might be an oversimplification of how, you know, organizations work to a certain degree, but I think it makes the point of people need and, and should be accountable to their performance, but they also need to be empowered then to bring their full potential to the job.
1: I think that's a great place for us to end this conversation. Empowerment can often seem to be such a cliche, and I'm going to finish it by sharing an analogy that my good friend and fellow statarian, Dr. Vito Stellato taught me. He said, if you're on top of a 40 story building and it's a 40 foot by 40 foot top that is absolutely flat, nothing around you and a 50 mile an hour wind, how free are you going to be to move on top of that roof? And most people would say, I'm going to lay down in the middle of the roof and I'm not going to move. Okay. Now, if I put a 10 foot steel wall around it and I say, okay, have fun, what would you do? And you say, well, I could do anything. I could move anywhere. I'm not afraid to move to the edge because I'm going to be protected by the wall. We know when to stop. That wall is then analogous to your mission and values, to your vision, to your roles and your goals and the definition of what we do so that then we can work within that space to excel and succeed. And we're free to move within that space. And when that's lacking, it's when people are afraid. And when people are afraid, our amygdala kicks in, it's fight, flight, or freeze. And I always like that. You know, I'm gonna argue with people to get my point across. I'm gonna freeze and do nothing or I'm going to flight. I'm gonna quit. And as we always say, the ones that quit and go are not the problem. It's the people that quit and stay. So I think with some of the things that we've learned here today, we've learned how to prevent people from quitting and staying or fleeing or not feeling like they need to be part of an organization, to collaborate with each other, to trust each other, to be aligned. I like your four areas of alignment. And then in the complexity of organizations, to be trilingual, your business acumen, your design, your technology, and to be able to express that in a way that people start to understand and see where the program, the project, whatever it is, is going so that we can collaborate with everybody and have a successful outcome. Jonathan, I really appreciate your thoughts and your insights today. And thanks for being our guest.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure.
1: This is Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And everybody just take responsibility as a leader and we will all succeed as best we can. Be safe, be well, and take care. Thank you.
0: Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit PeterKatz.com.